Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team, team is made up of men and women, women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to, to expand, expand in faith, faith hope, and hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because, because they, they anchor us in something, something which can, can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. The scripture today is from Acts chapter 9 verses 36 to 43. Now in Joppa there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with a request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, because many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're all doing well. Um, I want to start today by obviously wishing all the moms a happy Mother's Day. All the mothers, all the grandmothers. I've got a couple of very cool aunts. It takes a village. I would loop them in personally. But to all of you who are celebrating today, happy Mother's Day to all of you. And can we also just make a point of saying that there are some people for whom Mother's Day is kind of a triggering day. There are mothers that have complicated relationships with their kids. There are kids that have complicated relationship with their mothers. And there are women who want to be mothers and haven't had the opportunity to be mothers yet. And so Mother's Day can be hard for them as well. So can we hold both of those things together, you know, celebrating the moms that are celebrating and you know, being with those people who maybe aren't as in a celebratory a mood today? Can we do that? Amen? Amen. Uh, for those of you who are relatively new, my name is Dan Cook. Uh, I've been a part of the Genesis community here since virtually its inception, um, and I am your pastoral intern, or as Allie likes to call me, Intern Dan. You're free to call me that. Uh, and I'm in two weeks from yesterday, I will be getting my Master's of Divinity from Bethel Seminary. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been five very long and very fast years all at the same time, uh, but it's been an amazing journey, and I'm happy to be able to cap it off here with all of you folks together. If you were here last week, uh, Becky Patton gave a great sermon about leaning into the unknown as sort of this time of transition that we're here, that we're in here at Genesis. If you didn't get a chance to hear that, I strongly encourage you to go find the podcast or go find the, the video on YouTube. It's, it's a great sermon, and I really thought it was a great message. 
But it gave me kind of an idea that maybe for a moment, as we're getting ready to lean into that transitionary period, we take a step back and we remind ourselves who we are and why we do what we do. And for the folks that are relatively new here, it's a chance to get to kind of know us as a community and why we do things in our own weird little way. So as we look at this passage today, there's three kind of movements that I want to go through. And the first one's going to be talking about how this passage was even selected. And the second one's going to be what this passage tells us about our beliefs and values here at Genesis. And then the third one's going to be kind of getting back to what Becky talked about. How does this passage give us a path forward? How does it give us a chance to lean into something new together as a community? Okay? So those are kind of the three spots we're going to hit today. So we're going to start with how I chose this passage. We follow here at Genesis what's called the Revised Common Lectionary. And for some of you, this is going to be review. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. But for some of you, maybe this is a new thing and and good to know. We we follow the Revised Common Lectionary, which is a three-year cycle of passages that kind of takes you through most, not all of the books of the Bible, but most of them. And it follows what we call, what's called the church calendar, which starts at Advent and cycles through to ordinary time and then back to Advent again. We're in year C right now, so when we hit Advent in December, we'll be looping back to year A. And each week there are four passages to choose from. There's an Old Testament text, a psalm, a gospel passage, and a New Testament text. Except in this period of Eastertide that we're in right now, where they'll substitute a passage from Acts for the Old Testament text. But basically, each preacher approaches those four passages. Everybody that comes up here is going to be speaking, looks at those four passages for that week. And in fact, if you turn, I think, to page seven of your liturgy, you'll see at the very end of the liturgy there, the four passages for next week. You'll see them listed there. And that's there every week. You can also Google Revised Common Lectionary. It'll probably take you to a page from Vanderbilt University where it has all of the passages laid out for each week, and you can click your way through them and see where they all are. So, and the reason that's important is because we believe in connectivity here at Genesis, not just being connected as a community, though that's very important, but there are churches all over the world that are following the Revised Common Lectionary, which means that someplace far away, there's a preacher standing up in front of a church talking about Acts 9 right now. And the likelihood is that they're going to preach something entirely different than what I'm going to preach today. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing, because there's depth and there's nuance and there's all kinds of great stuff to be mined from Scripture. And mine is not the only viewpoint. And the only way we learn is by finding viewpoints that are different than ours. So that kind of connects us together. It's unity in diversity, which is a big theme in the Bible. And there's diverse ways of approaching all of these different passages, and that's going on right now, today. And we believe that's a very, very good thing. So whoever's preaching looks at those four passages, and I'll be honest with you, most weeks when I'm looking at them, uh, the, the struggle is, what am, I, what am I going to talk about? Not in that I can't find anything, but in that there's so much there that narrowing it down becomes kind of an issue. And then there are the weeks where you look at it and you're like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to talk about right now. Oh, my goodness. And that involves a lot of prayer and a lot of study and trying to find something. And I think often in those times, you actually do find some really, really excellent nuggets there. This isn't one of those weeks. This is the week where I looked at it and in two seconds I knew what I was going to talk about which passage I was going to choose and kind of how it was all going to lay it out. And those, those weeks are fun too because it makes life a little bit easier on the preacher, I'll be honest. So we believe in that notion of connectivity. We believe that the Revised Common Lectionary gives us that chance not only to connect with other churches but again to connect with their community. That we can in the next week be looking at those four passages that I mentioned for next week. We can all be in those four passages together. And then Kara, I believe, is preaching next week 
will have selected one to preach from. You'll also notice the first scripture reading that we did was Psalm 23. That was one of the four passages for this week. That's often the case. There's a connectivity to it, and that's important. That's one of our values here at Genesis. But this also reminds us of other beliefs, this passage. Uh, again, if you were here last week and you saw Ali's kids' sermon, you'll recall her talking about God not being a man and God not being a woman. And that is a value that we hold here at Genesis. Not that God is genderless. Some people react to that and say, we're just going to use gender-neutral pronouns and we're just going to say God a lot instead of saying pronouns. I'm not a big fan of that, personally. <clears throat> I'd much rather view God as genderful, and that's something, a term we've used it before here at Genesis, that God encompasses all of gender. God is masculine, God is feminine, God is all of gender. All people are made in God's image. That's something we find that's very important here at Genesis. So when you're preaching a passage like we have here today, it would be very much, it wouldn't be wrong, but it would be very easy to preach it as, here's a story of Peter resurrecting a woman, right? And you could talk about God's desire to be in eternal relationship with us. You could talk about how Jesus' resurrection provided resurrection for somebody else and that that's an example of what's waiting and what's coming for all of us. And that wouldn't be a wrong way to preach this passage. It'd be a very great way to preach this passage. It's just not the way I'm going to preach it today. Because I'm not as interested in talking about Peter. I'm much more interested in talking about Tabitha. When I see a story of a woman in a lectionary, that's something I gravitate to. That's something that I want to talk about. So let's talk about Tabitha for a minute. Let's look at this passage. Let's look at this scripture passage and see what facts we can glean from the text itself. If you want to have your scripture out in front of you, I'm going to kind of bop around between different verses as I pull this together. Well, let's start in verse 36. What does this tell us about Tabitha? Well, it tells us that she lived in a city called Joppa. It tells us that in Greek, her name is Dorcas. Tabitha is Aramaic. The Greek name is Dorcas. They, both of those words translate to gazelle, which we think of as a very fast, sleek, graceful animal, right? But in Arabic love poetry, the gazelle is the symbol of the beloved, which I think we find in this passage is very much who Tabitha is. She is a beloved figure in this city. It also tells us there in verse 36 that she's devoted to good works and charity, that the reason that she's important is because she's helping people who are in need in that town and that doing so has elevated her to a position in that town. And let's jump down to verse 39, because what, what, was it, what were those good works and acts of charity about? Well, we see there the widows who are mourning Tabitha talking about the clothes that she made for them. That's what she did. She made clothes and gave them to people in need. Seems awfully simple. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. In verse 37, it tells us that she fell ill and died. And in verse 40, it tells us that she was resurrected by Peter. And that's it. Those eight verses are the only mention of Tabitha in the entire New Testament. And that's the direct facts that we can plug, pluck from those verses. But I think we can also infer some things from those verses. What can we infer? I think we can infer that Tabitha was a leader. How do I know that? I know that because when she died, it inspired such mourning and such grief that they sent people to go get Peter, who was another town away. You have to ask yourself, would that have happened if she wasn't an important person, if she wasn't highly thought of in that town? I don't think it necessarily would have. What's interesting is that they don't say, go get Peter because Peter can come resurrect Tabitha. 
They don't have any particular purpose in mind in the text when they send to go Peter. It's just they are mourning. They are so upset that this woman had died that they hear Peter is nearby and they want Peter to come be with them as they mourn this woman's death. That signals that she's somebody very important. I think we can actually infer that she's a leader because she's mentioned in the text at all. Like I said earlier, you could have written this text, Peter resurrected a woman. And you could get to that whole notion of resurrection and God's eternal relationship with us without telling us anything about Tabitha. You could do that. And again, remember, this text was written by a man in a time that was highly patriarchal. So you would almost expect that they wouldn't necessarily give us details about the woman in the story, and yet those details are there because they're important, because she was important, because she was beloved. And I think we, should, we can know that she was a leader because, and this is going to be my language nerdiness for today, and I promise I'll keep it short. We can know that she's a leader because when it refers to her as a disciple, the Greek word for disciple is usually methetes. This is the only place in the New Testament where the feminine version of that word, and I want to make sure I get this right, methetrira, is used. It's the only place. She's the only person in the, in the entire New Testament who was referred to as a disciple with the feminine version of that word. That tells me she's somebody pretty darn important and that her being a female is something that was emphasized. Finally, I think we, should, we can infer that she's a leader because when she died and they sent people to go get Peter, who'd they send? Two men. Remember when Jesus died, it was two women that came and got Peter. But this woman was so important to this community that they didn't just send women who were seen as lower on the, in the social caste. They sent two men. She was so important, two men went and got Peter to come and mourn with them. Like all of that together signals to me that she was absolutely a leader in this community. So if we view God as encompassing all of gender, if that's important here, if we value the feminine, the feminine in our church community, how does this connect to that? Well, there are some Christian communities who will teach what's called complementarianism. And that simply means that they believe there are roles designated for men and there are roles designated for women and never the two shall cross. That's the simple version. I love my complementarian brothers and sisters because Jesus tells me to. <laughs> I could not disagree more with that theology. I just couldn't. And that's not what we teach here at Genesis. We teach here what's called an egalitarian point of view which says that men and women share the giftings of God that men and women can teach and preach and lead. That's what we believe here at Genesis. And all you have to do is look at the staff and look at the elder boards to see how that's reflected. Right now, I'm the only man on the teaching team. And that's okay because men have had a lot of opportunities to teach and preach in Christian churches. We're not exactly suffering. Look at our elder board. The chair of our elder board, Pam Hack, is a woman. Our vice chair, Katie, is also a woman. Look at our staff. There's three women and two men. We value the voice of women. Look at the service, how we conduct a service. When a man is preaching, it's a woman that reads Scripture, and it's a woman that does the Eucharist, and vice versa. When a woman's preaching, it's a man that reads Scripture, and it's a man that does the Eucharist. We do that very intentionally here because we value the voice of women. We value the leadership of women, and we think they're just as gifted by God as men. So again, if Tabitha was a leader and likely had been for a long time, how does that connect to this value? Well, what's interesting is that the very first story in Acts 9, this is the last story in Acts 9, the very first story in Acts 9 is Paul's conversion. So on the road to Damascus, falls off the horse, struck blind, Jesus talks to him. We're pretty familiar with that story. 
And our complementarian brothers and sisters love them some Paul. They love to go to Paul. They love to go to Paul's letters in 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy and Ephesians. And they love to grab a hold of verses that say things like women should be silent and I do not permit women to teach and wives submit to your husbands. They love to grab those and put them all together and say, look, men should be leaders and women should not. Here at Genesis, we believe that those letters were written to specific people, to specific churches, in a specific time, in a specific context, for a specific reason. And I don't think that God suddenly changed his mind and decided men are supposed to be in charge and women aren't supposed to be in charge because Paul showed up. Because here's the thing, Tabitha had been a leader for a long time before Paul was converted. I don't think God suddenly changed his mind when Paul showed up. I don't believe that at all. And I don't believe Paul thought that either, to be honest with you. Why do I say that? Because there's numerous examples of Paul complimenting and exalting women. In Paul's magnum opus, the letter to the Romans, he mentions an apostle by the name of Junia. An apostle, not just a disciple, but an apostle by the name of Junia. You can't be an apostle and not be a leader. And when Paul sent that letter to Rome, he sent it in the hands of a woman named Phoebe. And it's imperfectly safe to assume that the person who brings that letter from Paul and places it into the hands of the church where it's supposed to go knows that letter well enough that when questions inevitably arise, they're able to answer those questions. Don't tell me women can't teach. Don't tell me women can't lead. Don't tell me that Paul thought that. He sent his most important letter in the hands of a woman. There are female leaders throughout the Bible. And I could list off many, many more, but Miriam and Deborah and Ruth and Esther and Mary and Junia and Phoebe and Tabitha and on and on and on. I have said this before and I will say it as many times as I am allowed to. If you're a woman here at Genesis, if you're a young woman here at Genesis, you do not need anybody's permission to follow God's call on your life. God has given you gifts. God wants you to use those gifts, and you don't need any man to tell you that it's okay to go use those gifts. Just go do it. If the Spirit is moving you to teach, if the Spirit is asking you to lead, if the Spirit is asking you to step up and do something, don't wait for somebody else to say, oh, yeah, that's okay, you can go do it. No, go do it. Go do it. We believe in the idea of connectivity, and we believe in the idea of female leadership at Genesis. Those are two very important things. But I also want to suggest that this passage has something for us moving forward. What do I mean by that? One of our values, and you can find these all on the website, including the paragraph I'm about to read, one of our values here at Genesis is ordinariness. And just let me read this passage because it explains it better than I could. It says, most of us live our lives as if we need to be more and different and better in order to be significant. We want to live our lives as is, embracing who we are and where we are, believing that our gifts, our life, our vocation, as small or large as it actually is, is where God will be present to us and active through us. We believe here at Genesis that we can bless others by being who we actually are and operating from where we actually are. God blesses people through us in our ordinariness, not because we have some spectacular ability. Amen? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And it's good news for us as we go on this search for whatever this new pastor position is going to look like, because let's be honest, 
Sometimes pastors can kind of be put up on pedestals. Sometimes they can be exalted a little bit. And sometimes that turns out horribly wrong and you get a podcast made out of you about 10 years later. <laughs> Not going to name any names. But look, here's the thing. I love preaching. I love being up here. I love sharing with you guys. I love teaching. That's something that gives me life. And I like to think I have a talent for it. But here's the deal. I'm just telling you Tabitha's story. Tabitha's the one out there doing the darn thing, okay? There's no reason to exalt a pastor above anybody else because Tabitha's out there doing the work through her ordinariness. Remember what she did? She just made clothes. She just made clothes for people who needed them. But the way that she did it motivated and inspired other people to the point that when she passed away, they sent to, for Peter in the other town, come be with us because this really important person just died. She made clothes for people who needed them. She was a leader. She was beloved through her ordinariness. Peter was an amazing apostle. He did some wonderful things. Not everybody has to be Peter. You can be Tabitha. In fact, it's probably more important to be Tabitha, you could argue. She became beloved. She became a leader through making clothes for people that need them. Any of us can do something like that. Anybody can do something like that. We can be the hands and the feet of the body of Christ. We can do the things that need doing through our ordinariness. And if we coordinate those efforts together, we can accomplish way more than we can individually. So the question becomes, as we move forward as a community, what is ours to do in our ordinariness? What can we do for each other, as a community together, and for the community around us? That should be the question that's almost foremost in our heads as we're looking for this new person to join our leadership team. And as Pam so eloquently put it earlier, we have a wonderful leadership team and a wonderful staff and wonderful elders already in place. There's a lot of great leaders here and a lot of them are women. And we're lucky to have that. I'm lucky to have that. I know how much I don't know. Trust me, I'm well acquainted with how much I don't know. And there are things that I can't know as a man because I don't have that lived experience. I need a woman to teach me. I need that perspective. My poor little Enneagram 5 brain wants to know all the things, and the only way it's going to know all the things is if I listen to and am taught by women. We believe in connectivity here at Genesis. We believe in female leadership here at Genesis. And we believe that we can be ordinary apprentices of Christ and move forward together as a community. And in our ordinariness, we can be a blessing. We can be beloved, just like Tabitha. Amen? Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If you find yourself nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if you have, have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.